You know, uh, I told you I picked up my friend Randy and we, uh, yesterday to get him to the airport, and Randy and I have great conversations, such a good friend, and I was sharing with him something I've told you before, and that's this basic premise I have uh, in my thinking about those of us who communicate the Word. I, I'm really not sure where I came up with it, uh, if it was just a realization of my own or something I heard and processed some way, but I, I truly be- believe this. I said, I was telling him, I said, Randy, I think there's times as a pastor, when I know I'm bringing the word to the congregation. That comes from a sense of a pastoral heart. Um, so often it comes uh, by being motivated by uh, things that I know different members are going through and, or standing by the bedside in a hospital or, or at, at a graveside or whatever it is, just difficult challenges that are going. And I feel a real push to bring the word to the people. And I said, I, it's as if that's one mode of communicating that we get in. And I know that's the popular one today. And things that I see outside of here, it's almost all of what I see is someone bringing the word to the people. Uh, I know a lot of people say, well, I want to be sure I get fed. And I, I just want to warn you, I have issues with that statement because I want to say, what, you, you can't feed yourself? How old are you? You know, I don't want to be that crass about it, but, well, we just, we left there. We weren't being fed. Really? Someone has to feed you. Well, so, but I do believe that there are times, certainly as a pastor, that, that our responsibility is, is to bring the word to the people. But there's another side to that. There's also times that I'm aware in my own preparation for, for delivering the word of the Lord that... Um, that I can tell that this is not going to be one of those that I'm just bringing and delivering uh, and, and feeding to the people. Though I'm willing to do that and I, I enjoy that and that there's satisfaction as a pastor to do that. There are times we are asking the people to come to the Word. And there's a difference. Happy to bring you the Word. But there are moments and times, church, and it calls for a certain level of maturity with the congregation to say, we now need to come to the Word. I was sharing this with my friend Randy yesterday. He says, Dan Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, says that same idea, but he puts it another way. He says, we are to live under the Word. As believers, we live under the Word. So what does that mean? To live under the Word means that you live in a place of submission to the authority of the Word of God. Do you realize that we live in a culture today where many people see the Word of God as an option? You know, I don't know what school you were raised in, but I was raised in a school where it wasn't an option. It's the infallible Word of God. It is light unto our feet and lamp unto our path. It is all of that. I got that backwards, I know. So what I'm saying is there are moments, church, when it's going to be incumbent upon us to come to the Word. What does it require to come to the Word? Well, it requires laying aside certain things. It requires, I can be a little unfiltered about this, it requires laying aside any sense of arrogance that we know it all, see it all, heard it all, heard it all already. You have to lay that aside. You have to lay aside any preconceived idea. Well, I know how this is going to play out. I've heard, you know, any preconceived idea of what God is going to do with the Word in your life today. You can't know that. He is God. He is the sovereign one. And so all of that to say, I'm not really sure what I, in what I feel the Lord is 
asked me to prepare today, if it's me bringing it to you or you simply coming to the Word, but whatever it is, let's just ask the Lord to open our hearts. Would, would, you, would you be willing to do How many want to hear the Word of the Lord today? Lord, I, I just ask that you will open our hearts in whatever condition we, we find ourselves. Some of us have come very broken today. Some of us are, have come with a long list of questions. Some of us have come in, in whatever kind of condition. But we know this today. We are going to come under the Word of God. It is what you have called for us for today. And we want to hear it. We want to receive it. And so we do it, and I ask for your help. Lord, I'm so thankful that you are our helper. I'm thankful you're my helper. I need your help today. Oh, Holy Spirit, come and move amongst us and do your mighty work in us. For I ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said. Let's go to quickly to Mark chapter 9 for just a few minutes this morning. Mark chapter 9. Second book in the New Testament. Today we're going to walk from a mountain down to a valley. I don't have much left in me, some people will say. I'm running out of hope, others will say. My faith is just, it's just almost completely gone. We hear that. I'm starting to question God. I'm starting to really have my doubts about God and if He's even listening. And honestly, there's days I wonder if He's even there. Or some will say, I am absolutely hanging on by a thread. Has anyone ever said any of those phrases before? I have. Even if you've said that or if you're saying that this morning, I, I want you to listen to me closely. If any of those kinds of statements, whether you were honest if you raised your hand just now or not, if that's true, I want you to know you still have enough faith in you today to win the battle that you're going through. That's why I had Stephanie to sing, I still believe. You still are equipped and have the faith that you need to face this trial. Even if you say you're hanging on by a thread, you still have what is necessary within you, even if you think you're hanging on by a thread, to beat every demonic power that is coming against you and to get the attention of Jesus. Is anyone happy about that today? You may not feel like you have much to go on. It may feel like a very little, almost nothing, but I want you to know it's still enough to get God's attention. I take you to a mountain where Jesus begins to shine in all of his glory. His deity begins to shine out, and it's called the transfiguration. And while the transfiguration is happening, where Moses and Elijah come and visit, and Jesus takes three disciples to the top of the mountain, Peter, James, and John. And Peter begins to open his mouth, as he typically does, and he says, oh, you know, it's great to be here. Let's build three houses or, or three temples. And, and he's kind of implying, you know, let's just stay here and hang out. This feels so good and feels so right, and let's soak this all in, and let's stay on top of the mountain. But one of the interesting things that I need to draw your attention to today is as we look at the story in Mark chapter 9 is to notice that what is taking place at the bottom of the mountain is probably just as significant and just as important as that which is taking place at the top. What was happening at the bottom of the mountain was this. The disciples were failing and failing miserably. The passage in Mark that we're going to look at, look at 
uh, look at in just a second, is basically telling this. I'm going to give just a brief synopsis. They were brought a demonic boy that was foaming at the mouth, and he was being thrown violently to the ground by a demon that was so powerful inside this boy that the boy's father brings him to the disciples, but the disciples could do nothing about it. So while we're staying here in Mark 9, I want to let you know there's a parallel passage in the Gospel of Luke, also in its chapter 9. It's the same story of the transfiguration, but I want you to see something very, very interesting because it's going to affect where we're going with this. Luke 9, chapter chapter 9, verse 1 says, And he called the twelve together, and he gave them power and authority over how many? Gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. Now stay in Luke 9, but skip down to verse 40, Luke 9, verse 40. This is the dad speaking who has this son that has the demonic spirit on him. He says, I begged your disciples to cast it out, and they could not. In Luke chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus gives them a promise. You have all power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all manner of sickness. And in verse 40, it becomes a little embarrassing because Jesus just gave them power over all demonic spirits. But on the first day of the job, guess what? They couldn't even make it happen the first day. A little embarrassing for Jesus because these are the guys that he's chosen that he's going to use to change the world. And you can't even take the promise on the first day of ministry that he's given it to them and and cause it to happen and make it effective. Now, I'm moving back to Mark chapter 9, which is our text this morning. We're going to read the story from Mark's point of view in just a second. When the disciples come to Jesus, they, you know, they, they ask him this honest question. Why couldn't we do this? Why, why couldn't we? And Jesus answered them in a verse that is so well known to many of us. When he said, this kind can only be cast out by prayer and fasting. By what? Obviously, these are two things that are very, very important to Jesus. He's establishing the value here of prayer and fasting in the life of a believer. And my question to you is the question that I had to ask myself as I was studying this week. Why is it that the consistency of our prayer life is always attacked? The consistency of our prayer life is always attacked. Let me ask, by show of hands, how many of you want to pray? Okay. How many of you are inconsistent in your prayer life? Almost the same amount of hands. Why do you think the enemy attacks the consistency of your prayer life? Why do you think the enemy doesn't want you to pray? Well, let's just take it from this verse. You know why? Because the enemy knows that freedom from his power is tied to your prayer life. That if you can connect with God, the enemy can't connect with you. Let's try that again. If you can connect with God, the enemy can't connect with you. So let me put it to you this way. I've been in ministry some 40-something years, and I have never had anyone ever walk into my office and say, you know, Pastor Dan, I've been praying about an hour a day faithfully for the last two years 
I've been, you know, really been at it every day, and I just cannot seem to break free from this pornography. Never has that happened to me. I just can't break free from the chains that have me bound, even though I've been praying an hour a day, every day for the last, no one, has, that has never happened. Typically, what is tied to bondage, what is tied to sin that won't let go, is an inconsistent or a non-existent prayer life. So let me give you this piece of information now. I, I, it's fair that you only know this. If you come to counsel with me, that'll be my first question. Pastor, pray for me. I, I need help. I just can't seem to break with this demonic bondage that I'm dealing with. I, I just I can't seem to get over this thing. First question, before I anoint you with oil, before I pray over you, before anything else, I'm going to ask you, tell me about your prayer life. Do you pray? Quite honestly, do you pray? Because what Jesus said is that freedom is tied to those that will seek the face of God. Hear me carefully, dear friend, because you're not going to be the exception. I, I know everyone thinks that their situation is an exception to the rule. Your case is not special, I hate to tell you. You will not be the exception to what Jesus said. You will not live a life of freedom if you do not pray and seek the Lord. And neither will you be in bondage. Here's the flip side of that and the, the joyous side of that. Neither will you be in bondage if you are seeking after God. Can I get an amen to that? Because here's what we know. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The presence of God is there. So when they come to the disciples and they bring this little boy who's filled with this demonic power, look with me at what happens and let's see what happens as they come down from the mountain in, as we are in Mark chapter 9, starting with uh, verse 14. When they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. Immediately, when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And so he asked them, meaning his disciples, this is Jesus asking the disciples, what are you, what are you discussing with them? What, what are you all talking about? The people. And one of the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. Now, I don't know about you, but I see a bit of a funny exchange in this. Maybe I shouldn't, but I do. Here's Jesus asking his disciples, What are you discussing with all these people? And out of nowhere, this dad steps up and says, Let me tell you the story. I can tell you what's going on here. He didn't even give the disciples time to answer the question. He's thinking, these guys are losers anyway. They can't make anything happen anyway. He didn't even give them a chance. He says, they don't know what they're talking about, and I don't have time, and I'm not interested in their theological debate. I'm just telling you, I got a boy. He's got to be set free, and that's the desperation of a parent. They don't want to talk to you about your theology. They don't want to talk about Calvinism or discuss Armenianism. They only know, I've got a boy with a demon and I need him set free. And here's, here are the disciples. And this dad just steps right up in the middle of them. And he says, look, I've, I brought you my boy. And notice what he says. This is very important, church, for us to see. In verse 17, he says, this dad says, Teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with the spirit which makes him mute. Notice what he does not call Jesus. Notice what he is, does not refer to him as. He does not call him the son of David. He does not even call him master. And here's why. This dad is hanging on by a thread, as some of you are today, hanging on by a thread, and in his mind, he has brought Jesus all the way down to the level of teacher now. 
of all the things he could have called him, of all the things to which he could have referred to Christ, he uses this which would be referred to in the list of things as some, I mean, he's not even calling him Lord, he's not calling him Master, this is a desperate father going, I don't even know what to do anymore. I'm not even sure I believe anymore. I'm not even sure that, I, that there are answers for my situation. We've had such desperation at our house and what's going on. I'm not even sure I believe anything. I'm even losing hope in you, Christ. I know you teach, but I don't know if you're Lord over this thing. I don't know if you are the master over what I'm going through. Even what he calls Jesus is being reduced or diminished. But what I love about Jesus is the prophecy that he fulfills. Because in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 3, we have this prophecy about Jesus. For in centuries to come, Jesus would come, and this is what the prophecy says one of his missions would be, one of his assignments would be when he came to this earth. Isaiah 42, 3 says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. Hallelujah. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. This was part of the mission of Jesus. What he was saying was this, even if you are barely hanging on, I have come for you. Even if the wick of your life is smoking and just about, that flame has been reduced to a flicker, and it's just about to go out, and you're basically saying, I'm done. I am burned out, and I'm out of here. Jesus goes, great, I've come for you. Let's understand this about a bruised reed. It's what all the children used to go down when they went down to the rivers, and they would pick them up all over Israel, and they'd pick up these reeds that grew there, and they were all hollowed out, and they would literally turn them into musical instruments, and they would just pluck them up and play them like musical instruments. And, but if it got bent or, or bruised, it would, they would just toss it off and just be thrown away because there were thousands more where, they, where that one came from. So they pick up the reed and they're playing and making all the musical noises like a little flute or whatever sounds it can make on it. If they bend it or they stick it in their pocket or whatever and it gets busted, they go, eh, no big deal. They'll just throw it off to the side because there's so many more. And what this is, and what is said of Jesus in this prophecy is this even if that thing doesn't make music anymore, I won't throw it out. But I'll take that thing and I will heal it so that music can come out of it again. Hallelujah. Listen to the mission of Jesus. If you're here this morning and saying, I don't even have it in me to sing, Jesus says, perfect, I've come not to throw you out, but I've come to put a song back in your heart. He says, even if you are a dimly burning wick, some versions of Scripture say a smoking flax, but if you're at that place where you can't give any light anymore, they used to put the wick in a jar of oil, and it was the oil that caused the wick to burn. Sometimes the oil is gone and the wick is burning, but there's no, there's no oil. It's just smoking at this point, and it smells, and there's no fire, and it's gone. At that point, they would just typically pick up the wick and throw it out. And they may say, it may smell. Let me fill this with oil. Let me throw out this wick, and I'll put in a new one in there. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. 
even if this thing is smoking on its very last seconds of life, even this thing, this thing has lost its fire, Jesus says, you know what my job is, what my mission is, what my assignment is? I have come to put a song back in your heart again. I've come to rekindle the fire that's in your heart. I've come to set you ablaze one more time. He says, if there's just smoke, that's enough for me to do what I need to do in you. He says, when everyone else says, never mind, I'll find somebody else, not with Jesus. So you have a father here who has brought the name of Jesus all the way down to teacher, but that doesn't intimidate the Lord. In fact, he says, That's, it's great. It's exactly the guy that I want to help, Jesus says. Even if you just are acknowledging me today as teacher, that's enough material for me to still bring the miracle to your situation. And I want you to look what happens here. As the father begins to tell, the father of this young boy begins to tell the story. In Mark 9, I'm going to be at verse 18. The father says, and whenever it seizes him, speaking of this demonic spirit, it slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. And I told your disciples to cast it out and they, they couldn't do it. And he answered them and said, oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus said, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? And he says, bring him to me. And I want you to look at the theatrics of Satan at this moment. Let's just say this clearly. Satan is an actor. Jesus says, bring that boy to me. Bring him here. And verse 20 says, they brought the boy to him. When he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion. And falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. Remember, nothing was going on until Jesus said, bring the boy to me. And then Satan decides, uh-oh, I better show off here because I'm about to meet power. And I better show that I got something going on. But let me tell you this, just because someone screams and yells does not mean they have power and authority. Have you figured that out yet? Kind of goes along with what Spurgeon said when he said it this way. He says, usually the empty truck makes the most noise. Those that make the most noise don't have that much inside of them. So all of a sudden, all that foaming and all that carrying on, the devil knows with whom he is about to come in contact, and the enemy knows that when Jesus gets closer and closer and closer to the power of darkness, this demon already knows who's going to win this fight. Not any question about it. You know, I love the fact that when everyone else said you could not, cannot touch a leper, Guess what Jesus did? Jesus touched the lepers. You know why they couldn't touch the leper? You know this, because leprosy was highly, highly contagious. You touch leprosy, and it can come on you, but not with Jesus. When Jesus touches lepers, instead of leprosy coming down upon Jesus, Jesus comes all over the leprosy. It goes like this. Jesus and the leper grasp hands. And leprosy is trying to get on Jesus. That disease is trying to do what it does and spread itself and be as contagious as it is. As it is, And all of a sudden, power and healing and purity starts going all over the leper. And leprosy has nothing over the purity of Jesus and nothing over the power of Jesus. And the demon knows exactly the same thing that every leper in Israel knew that touched Jesus. And when you come in contact with the Son of God... You don't get on God, God gets on you. 
That's why it's so important, church, that when we come together in this church or any assembly of believers, we need to understand it's not a sermon that we need. It's not even music that we need. As much as we enjoy it, as much as that is a help to us in our worship, that is not our worship. It's a help to us in our worship. We need God in this place more than we need anything else. Can I get an amen to that today? Because God is the one who is infectious in a wonderful way when God comes upon his people. Listen, you hang out with angry people, you'll become angry. You hang out with critical people, guess what? You'll become critical. You hang out with people who just sit there in church and you'll just sit there in church. That's what you'll do. You hang out with people who sway in church and whether you want to or not, you'll start swaying in church. Especially if you've got one on each side of you. But when you hang out with God, it's God getting all over you. And that's what changes our lives and that's what's about to happen in this passage. Come on, give the Lord a clap of praise. So here's the enemy trying to show off and trying to intimidate. And I love the reaction of Jesus in this moment. And I think it's absolutely spectacular. Let me take you through it. Verse 20, Mark 9, verse 20. They brought the boy to him, and when he saw him immediately, the spirit threw him into a convulsion, and falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And look at verse 21. Jesus doesn't even look at him. And he asked the father of the the boy, so how long has this been going on? How long has this been happening? And here's the enemy. Get the picture, church. Right in the same few feet around them. Carrying on and causing this child. Going through all he's going through. And Jesus going, so how long has this been happening? Jesus is going, I got it. I'll take care. How long has this been going on? He doesn't even acknowledge the boy rolling around if you read the text. Listen, nothing gets prideful people more than when you don't acknowledge them. And so here's the enemy going crazy. Jesus doesn't even look at him. Jesus saying, tell me the story of the boy. And I can see the enemy going, don't tell the story of the boy. Look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. He was wanting all the attention. But Jesus doesn't need to look at the theatrics of Satan because he knows what's about to happen and he knows that he has all authority and all power over anything that the devil could possibly do. No matter how intimidating it might have looked in that moment. And he looks calmly at the father while crazy voices are screaming. And just says, how long has he been in this condition? How long has this been going on? I just think that's fantastic. Jesus stays right on track. And he talks to the father like the great physician that he is. And the father said, it's happened since childhood. And then verse 22 gives us the history. It's often thrown him into the fire. And it's thrown him into the water to destroy him. And then these words. From this dad. And I'm going to emphasize this. Get ready. But if. Not a good word to say to Jesus. (laughs) If you can help. Or you can do anything. Take pity on us. And help us. And so now. Let the games begin. And Jesus said to him, if I can, bro, did you just say that? Did you say if? Did I hear you right? You said if. Did you say if? 
I can help you. I mean, I know you just called me teacher, and I, you know, I, that's fine, all that stuff. Remember what's going on while this little conversation's happening with Jesus and the dead. There's all this demonic activity taking place. Jesus is not paying attention because he's upset over the guy saying, if. Jesus isn't paying a bit of attention to the foaming and the spitting and the theatrics of Satan going on because he knows he's got all that covered. Jesus, listen to me, look at this. Jesus is concerned about this broken reed and this smoking wick in the dad. That's what's got his attention. He's going, all that other stuff, that theater, that Broadway production going on here, I'll take care of that in just a second. I've got to deal with you, Dad, this morning because you've got to get set free today. And here's what Jesus says. If you can, which means Jesus saying, you know who you're talking to, right? You understand this. If, he says in verse 23 and 24, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, and here it is, church, it's the whole point. The boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Uh, at first glance, that's kind of a crazy statement to me. I believe. Help my unbelief. Well, which is it? I believe. Help my unbelief. Doesn't even make sense. But think of the intensity of the situation with this young boy and this dad. The demonic spirit is slamming him to the ground. It's throwing him into the water and throwing him into the fire. And this demon has nothing but a mission of death upon it to kill this small boy. And this father says these words, I believe, help my unbelief. Now listen, before you judge that father, that man's faith, let me just say this to you. In what he said just then to Jesus, the way he responded, I believe, help my unbelief. Here's what I want you to hear. It's enough. It's still enough. I believe, help my unbelief. That's plenty, Jesus says. That's all you need with me. It wasn't like the father, the dad was saying, oh yes, you're the king and you're the king over demons and hell and death can't overtake. No, he said this. It was honest. It was vulnerable. It was real. He said, I believe, but would you help my unbelief? And I wonder how many of us are in that situation today. How many of you doesn't matter how long you've been in the church, how long you've been a, a Christian. You've faced one more battle, and this one's just about to take you down. This one really caught you off guard, and there's still a flicker of a flame inside of you that says, I believe, oh, but God help my unbelief today. Everybody else that I know that's been in this situation, it's not turned out good for them. When my eyes look at everybody else around me, I see what's happened to them, and it makes me really doubt. Oh, God, I believe in you. Oh, but would you help my unbelief? Church, and if you come to God today with a help in your soul, a help from deep within your spirit, it's more than enough. Because a bruised reed, he will not deny. A smoking flax, he will not put out. Somebody ought to bless the Lord for that today. Here's the part that gets me. I believe that little phrase, help my unbelief, is stronger than the demons that are tormenting that little boy. 
That little tiny ounce or, or flicker of faith that that father demonstrated. That little tiny bit of faith, tiny bit of faith, it beats up on the bullying demons that have been tormenting that boy. Help my unbelief is enough to expel the demons inside this boy. And it's enough inside of you today to go to the Lord and say, I need your help. Because the next thing that Jesus does is to begin to come up to that little boy in verse 25. He says this. I'll be done in just a minute. You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. And he does all of that because that's exactly what happens. And he does all of that Jesus does from a little statement from the dad, which he simply said, help my unbelief. Listen, even if it's just a little, even if it's just minute, and you can say, I believe, help my unbelief, God goes, that's still enough for me to to beat up on the tormenting demons that are within you. Even if you're hanging on by a thread, Jesus says, that's still enough for me this morning to do what I need to do, what I've come to do. Even if you're here this morning and going, I am, I've run out, I'm completely out of steam, I'm running on empty, I am burned out, I have nothing left, Jesus goes, great, that's still enough for you to be set free this morning and delivered in this house today. What a slam that is to people who say to us, oh no, you've got to be positive. Oh no, 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 you've got to speak it this way. You can't speak negative. Listen to this man. This man's got nothing left in him. He's got a boy that's been tormented by the, by the demon. And all he can say is this, and he's still getting his boy delivered. Let me be honest with you. I've had my own moments in my own life when all I could cry out to God is, God, I do not know what to do. Is that a positive statement? No. I am clueless, God. I have come to the end of my resources. I have come to the end of everything I've got to offer this. And God says, that's enough. That's enough. That's all the faith, Dan, that you need. I can help you with that. Oh, but God, I'm running out of faith. Good. That's enough. You're going to play music again. You're a bruised reed. You're a smoking wick, burning wick, but that's enough. Even if you walked in this place this morning going, I don't even, I don't even know anymore. I don't even know what God can do. God says, that's enough. You had enough to get here this morning on an icy day like this. God, I I, I prayed until I can't pray anymore for that boy. I don't even know what to pray anymore. And God, I don't even know if, if you're even hearing me. To some people, that sounds like doubt. And some people might try to say, oh, don't speak negative statements of doubt. To God, the fact that you come to him, The fact that you're willing to be honest and say, God, I don't even know anymore. He says, that's still enough for me. Listen to this. You can portray all the confidence you want, but true faith is is all dependent upon the object of the faith. Let me put it to you this way. You can have little faith in thick ice, not much faith in that thick ice, and still live. But you can have great faith in thin ice, and you're dead, because it's the object of the faith. So even if my faith is little, but it's in a great God, my faith is in a, even if it's small, if my faith is in a great God, in a great God, that's when God says, I'm going to answer you. It's when God shows up. That's why the Bible says it to it this way. It doesn't just say believe. 
What is the object of your belief? It says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible doesn't just say, have faith. Lots of people have faith. It says, have faith in God. That's why a little faith is still enough to overcome a devil that's holding you hostage. And you may be saying here today, you know, I'm, I'm trying this just one more time. God, I'm trying this one more time. It's, and God says, that's good enough. I've done this before. I don't know if it's going to work. God says, that's enough. That's enough. I got here this morning, but I'm so confused. God, God says, that's enough. That's enough. I'll come forward and let someone pray with me, but I don't even know if anything's going to happen. That's enough. That little flicker of faith is all that God is asking because it's not what you say, it's who you are coming to that makes the difference. And the key to what that father said, that, of that father of that young boy, was this when he said, help my unbelief. So no matter what you can or cannot say today, if all you have coming from your soul, the only thing that you can squeeze out today is God, Help. Help me. How many of you are like me and you are so glad we have a God who hears that SOS call and he will respond and answer to you every time when that's all you've got to say? Who has with me faced the midnight hour and the darkness of night when all you had was, God, help, help. There was nothing else you could say, but God responded every time and you found that Jesus was as close as the mention of his name. Who's that true for today? Come on, bless the Lord in this house. I can tell you this, if all you have is a cry of help coming from the depths of your soul, that's enough to stop suicide thoughts within you. I mean it. Deal with people all the time who've decided they're not worthy, there's no reason for them to live, given up hope, everything's gone sour, whatever. Why should I even be here? Who would care? What would matter if I wasn't even here? Let me tell you. You can squeeze out a, God, help me today. I believe, help my unbelief. If you can squeeze that out today, that's all you need. That's all the faith you need for God to stop that tormenting spirit within you that's trying to tell you that you aren't worth anything. Hallelujah. It's enough to cause all that nonsense to stop. And God goes, that's enough. I can remove that. Because our faith this morning is in nothing less than the incomparable name of Jesus. On Christ the solid rock we stand. All other place, all other ground is what? Sinking sand. Let's stand together, church. Pastor Brent's going to lead us in a song in just a moment. I'm asking the prayer team to come forward. Because I know when we deliver a message like this that there are people who are saying, you know, the truth is that's, that's me. That's where I'm at. And so I'm calling for all those today who are simply saying... You know, I, I, all I've got, Pastor Dan, is a help my unbelief. I, the truth is I am doubting. The truth is I have been angry over my situation. And I'm here to tell you this morning, the message today is this. Even if that's your situation, you're here today, and you're willing to walk forward and let someone just touch you in Jesus' name, that's enough to get God's attention. Jesus said in Matthew 17, For truly I say unto you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there. And it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. So if all you have within your soul today, if all you have inside of you, you say the music's gone. The reed is broken within me. There's no more sound coming out. If that's all you have, then come and let someone pray with you today and literally just say, God, help my unbelief. That's all you have to cry out today in the name of Jesus.